Chapter 19 of Under Wellington's Command by G. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Charles Sapp. Under Wellington's Command by G. Henty. Chapter 19 Gratitude. Your regiment has been distinguishing itself again, Colonel O'Connor. I have heard from three sources, first from General Bernard reporting to me that he and the other officers were wholly unable to restrain the troops from their villainous work last night, until he found you and your regiment drawn up in perfect order, and was able with it to put an end to the disorder everywhere reigning. In the second place, the Count de Montego and the Marquis de Valeroso, two of the wealthiest nobles in the province, had called upon me to return thanks for the inestimable service, as they expressed it, rendered by Colonel O'Connor and his officers in defending their houses and protecting the rise and honor of their families from the assaults of the soldiers. They said that the defenders consisted entirely of officers. How was that? I am sorry to say that my men were, at first, infected by the general spirit of disorder. Left alone by ourselves, I thought that we could not do anything better than save from spoliation two fine mansions that happened to be at the spot where we had been left. We had to stand a sharp siege for two or three hours, but we abstained as far as possible from using our arms, and I think that only two or three of the soldiers were wounded. However, we should have had to use our pistols in earnest in a short time, had I not sent out several of my officers by the back entrance of the house, and these were not long in finding and persuading to return to their duties a couple of hundred men. As soon as we sallied out, the affair was at an end, and the soldiers fled. The officers were sent out again, and when an hour later General Bernard came up, we had some seventeen hundred in readiness for action, and his arrival relieved me of the heavy responsibility of deciding what course had better be adopted. Yes, he told me so, and I think that you acted very wisely in holding your men back till he arrived, for nothing could have been more unfortunate than a conflict in the streets between British and Portuguese troops. There's no doubt that, had it not been for your regiment, the disgraceful scenes of last night would have been very much worse than they were. I should be glad if you will convey my thanks to them. Thank you, sir, but I shall be obliged if you will allow me to say that you regret to hear that a regiment, in which you place confidence, should have at first behaved so badly, but that they had retrieved their conduct by their subsequent behavior, and had acted as you would have expected of them. I have been speaking very severely to them this morning, and I am afraid that the effect of my words will be altogether lost, were I to report your commendation of their conduct without any expression of blame. Lord Wellington smiled. Do as you like, Colonel O'Connor. However, your regiment will be placed in orders today as an exception to the severe censure passed upon the troops who entered the town last night. And do you really think that they will behave better another time? I am sure they will, sir. I threatened to have the three hundred who had not joined when General Bernard arrived transferred to another regiment, and it was only upon their solemn promise and by the whole of the officers guaranteeing their conduct in the future that I forgave them. Moreover, every article taken in money, jewels, or dress has been given up, and I have sent them to the syndic, the money for distribution among the sufferers, the jewelry, and other things to be reclaimed by those from whom they were taken. Their kits were being examined thoroughly when I came away, but I think I can say with certainty that no single stolen article will be found in them. You have done very well, sir, very well, and your influence with your men is surprising. Your regiment will be quartered in the convent of San Jose. Other divisions will move in this afternoon, 
and take the place of the first and third brigades your regiment therefore may consider it a high honour that they will be retained here i dare say that it will not be long before i find work for you to do again lord somerset will give you an order at once to take possession of the convent Terence returned to the regiment in high spirits the work of inspection was still going on at its conclusion colonel Horava reported that no single article of plunder had been found i am gratified that it is so Horava, he said now let the regiment form up in hollow square again men he went on i have a message for you from lord wellington and he repeated that which he had suggested thus you see men that the conduct of those who had once obeyed orders and returned to the ranks has caused the misconduct of the others to be forgiven and lord wellington has still confidence that the regiment will behave well in future the fact that all plunder has been given up to be restored to his owners had of course some effect in inducing him to believe this i hope that every man will take the lesson to heart that the misdeeds of a few may bring disgrace on the whole regiment and that you will in future do nothing to forfeit the name that the minho regiment has gained for good conduct as well as for bravery a loud cheer broke from the regiment who then marched to the convent of san jose and took up his quarters there two hours later the two spanish nobles called upon terence the count of montego introduced his companion we have only just heard where you were quartered he went on we have both been trying in vain all morning to find you not a soldier of your regiment was to be seen in the streets and although we questioned many officers none could say where you were you went off so suddenly last night that i had no opportunity of expressing our gratitude to you and your officers you said enough and more than enough last night count terence replied and we were all glad indeed that we were able to protect both your houses lord wellington informed me that you had called upon him and had spoken highly of the service we had been able to render you pray say no more about it i can quite understand what you feel and i can assure you that no thanks are due to me for having done my duty as a british officer and a gentleman on so lamentable and i admit disgraceful an occasion my wife and daughters and those of the marquis of valoroso are almost anxious to see you and thank you and your officers they were too frightened and agitated last night to say aught and indeed as they say they scarcely notice your features can you bring your officers round now i am sorry to say i cannot do that signor they have to see after the arrangements and comfort of the men and getting of the rations the cooking and so on to-morrow they will i am sure be glad to pay you a visit but you can come can you not colonel yes i am at liberty now count and shall be happy to pay my respects to the signoras the more i hear the marquis said as they walked along together of the events of last night the more deeply i feel the service that you have rendered us i am unable to understand how it is that your soldiers should behave with such outrageous violence to allies it is very disgraceful and greatly to be granted signor but i am bound to say as i have now gone through four campaigns and remember the conduct of the spanish authorities churches during our march to talavera our stay there and our retreat i am by no means surprised that among the soldiers who are unable to draw a distinction between the people and the authorities there should be a deep and lasting hatred there is no such hatred for the french our men fought the battle of talavera when weak with hunger while the spaniards who engaged to supply them with provisions were feasting our men were neglected and starved in the hospitals and would have died to a man had not happily for them the french arrived 
and treated them with the greatest humanity and kindness soldiers do not forget this sort of thing they know that for the last three years the promises of the spanish authorities have never once been kept and that they have had to suffer greatly from the want of transport and stores promised we can of course discriminate between the people at large and their authorities but the soldiers can make no such distinction and deeply as i deplore what has happened here i must own that the soldiers have at least some excuse for their conduct the two spaniards were silent i cannot gainsay your statement the count de montego said indeed no words can be too strong for the conduct of both the central and all the provincial juntas then senor how is it that the people do not rise and sweep them away and choose honest and resolute men in their place that is a difficult question to answer colonel it may be said why do not all people when ill-governed destroy their tyrants possibly because as a rule the tyrants have armies at their backs but here such armies as there are although nominally under the orders of the juntas are practically led by their own generals and would obey them rather than the juntas however that is a matter for the spanish people alone although we have suffered cruelly by the effects of your system please remember that i am not in the smallest degree defending the conduct of our troops but only trying to show that they had at least some excuse for regarding the spaniards as foes rather than as allies and that they had as they considered a long list of wrongs to avenge there is truth in all you say colonel unfortunately men like ourselves who are the natural leaders of the people hold aloof from these petty provincial struggles and leave for the public offices to be filled with greedy adventurers and have been accustomed to consider work of any kind beneath us the country is paying dearly for it now i trust when the war is over seeing how the country has suffered by our absentation from politics and from the affairs of our provinces we shall put ourselves forward to aid in the regeneration of spain by this time they had arrived at the door of the count's house the street had been to some extent cleared but shattered doors broken windows portions of costly furniture and household articles of all sorts still showed how terrible had been the destruction of the previous night large numbers of the poorer class were at work clearing the roads as the city authorities had been ordered by lord wellington to restore order in all the thoroughfares the count led the way up to the drawing-room the countess and her three daughters rose i introduced our brave defender to you last night the count said but in the half-darkened room and in the confusion and alarm that prevailed you could have had but so slight a view of him that i doubt whether you would know him again i should not indeed the countess said we have been speaking of him ever since but could not agree as to his appearance oh signor no word can tell you how grateful we feel to you for your defence of us last night what horrors we should have suffered had it not been for your interposition i am delighted to have been of service to you signora it was my duty and it was a very pleasurable one i can assure you and i pray you to say no more about it how is it that you speak spanish so well signor the countess asked after her daughters had shyly expressed their gratitude to terence i owe it chiefly to a muleteer of salamanca i was a prisoner there last year and he accompanied me for a month after i made my escape from the prison also i owe much to the guerrilla chief morass with whom i acted for six weeks last autumn i learned a little of your language before 
and speaking Portuguese fluently, I naturally picked it up without any great difficulty. Your name is not unknown to us, Colonel, the Count said. Living so close to the frontier as we do, we naturally know much of what passes in Portugal, and heard you spoken of as a famous leader of a strong Portuguese regiment that seems to have been in the thick of all the fighting. But we heard that you have been taken prisoner by the French at the Battle of Fuentes de Orno. Yes, I had the misfortune to be captured by them, and was sent to Salamanca, but I escaped by the aid of a girl who sold fruit in the prison. A muleteer took me with him on a journey to Cadiz, and thence I came round to Lisbon by ship. You seem very young to have seen so much service, if you will excuse my saying so, Colonel. Terence smiled. I have had great luck, Signor, extraordinary luck. Ah, Colonel, we know how well you have deserved that luck, as you call it, but you would never have been in command of such a regiment if you had not done something very much out of the way to attract the attention of your commanders. I was not appointed to the regiment. I raised them myself. That is to say, I came under a number of Portuguese who had been called out for service, but had neither leader nor arms. Being anxious to fight for their country, they asked me to be their leader, and I accepted the offer. I found them docile and obedient, and with the aid of two British troopers with me, a Spanish officer, and twelve of his troopers, I established something like order and discipline, and as we were fortunate in our first affair with the enemy, they had faith in me, and I was able to raise them to a point of discipline, which is, I think, now quite equal to that of our own regiments. Seeing that I had made myself useful with my corps, I was confirmed to my command and obtained the rank of colonel in the Portuguese service, and am now a major in our own. I hope, senor, that later on you will tell us the story of some of your adventures. Be assured that the house and all in it are yours, and that it is not from mere curiosity that we would hear your story, but that, as we shall ever retain a grateful memory of what you had done for us, everything relating to you is of deep interest to us. After chatting for another quarter of an hour, Terence went with the Count de Montego to the house next door. Here he received an equally warm welcome from the wife and son and daughter of the Marquis. At both houses he was warmly urged to take up his quarters there during his stay at Ciudad, but explained that his place was with his regiment. He promised that he would call frequently when his duties permitted him to do so. The next day the two Spanish noblemen came to him, and after a parade was over, carried off the greater portion of the officers to be also introduced to their families. From that time, three or four of the officers were always invited to dinner at each house. Terence and Ryan frequently spent their evenings there, and their hosts introduced them to many of the leading people in the town. The Spanish general, Carlos de España, was appointed governor of Ciudad. Papers having been discovered, showing that many of the inhabitants had acted as French emissaries, these he executed without mercy. So rigorous, however, were his measures, that it was felt that more than sufficient blood had been shed, and accordingly several British deserters found in the town were pardoned. Many others of these men had fallen, fighting desperately in the breach, believing that there was no hope of mercy being extended to them, if taken prisoners. In the siege, the Allies lost 1,200 men and 90 officers, among whom were Generals Crawford and McKinnon, both killed, and General Vandeleur badly wounded. Lord Wellington was created Duke of Ciudad Rodrigo by the Spaniards, and Earl of Wellington by the English. The French loss was 300 killed and wounded, 1,500 prisoners, 
an immense store of ammunition and 150 guns. Thanks to the vigilance with which the Minhol Regiment had guarded the lines of the fords of the Yeltas, no news of the siege was received by Marmont in time for him to interfere with it. The bridge over the equator had been thrown across on the 1st of January, and the siege began on the 8th. But even on the 12th, nothing was known of Salamanca of the advance of the British army, and it was not until the 15th, three days after the town had fallen, that news that the siege had begun reached Marmont at Valladolid. He had ordered his army to concentrate on Salamanca, but it was not until the 25th that 35,000 men were collected there, and on the following day the news arrived of the fall of Ciudad. In the meantime, large numbers of laborers were being employed in repairing and strengthening the fortifications of that town, while Wellington labored in making preparations for the siege of Badajoz. These, however, progressed but slowly, owing to the refusal of the Portuguese government to supply transport for the guns or to furnish any facilities whatever for the supply of food for the army. Wellington maintained his headquarters on the Coa until the first week of March, and then moved south with the greater part of the army, Ciudad being left entirely in the hands of the Spaniards, the general supplying the governor with provisions and stores, and explaining to him the object and intention of the new works. A very strong force was left to guard the frontier of Portugal from an invasion by Marmont, 50,000 men, of whom 20,000 were Portuguese, being scattered along the line and guarding all the passes, the Minho regiment being ordered to take posts again at Penhale. Terrace left Ciudad with reluctance. He had all along been treated as a dear friend in the houses of the two Spanish noblemen, and spent most of his evenings at one or other of them. He had been obliged to tell in full detail all of his adventures since he joined the army. The rescue of his cousin from the convent of Porto had particularly excited the interest of the ladies, who asked innumerable questions about her. Brian frequently accompanied him, but his very slight knowledge of Spanish prevented him from feeling the same pleasure at the familiar intercourse. Bull and McWitty were absolutely ignorant of the language, and although Harara now and then accepted invitations to dinner, Terence and Ryan were the only two officers of the regiment who felt at home among the Spaniards. Before the regiment marched off, each of the Portuguese officers was presented with a handsome gold watch bearing an inscription expressing the gratitude of the two Spanish noblemen and their families. Bull, McWitty, and Herrera received in addition heavy gold chains. Ryan received a splendid horse with saddle, holsters, and a brace of finely finished pistols, and a similar present was made to Terence. On the day when he went to say goodbye, he found the ladies of both families assembled at the Count of Montego's. His host said, You must consider the horses and equipment as a special present for myself and the Marquis, Colonel O'Connor, but the ladies of our two families wish to give you a little memorial of their gratitude. They are memorials only, his wife said, and are feeble testimonies indeed of what we feel. These are the joint presents of the Marquis and her daughter, and of myself and my girls. And she gave him a small case containing a superb diamond ring of great value, and then a large case containing a magnificent parure of diamonds and emeralds. This, senor, is for your future wife. She will value it, I am sure, not so much for what it may be worth, but as a testimony of the gratitude of six Spanish ladies for the inestimable services that you rendered them. Perhaps they will have a special value in her eyes, inasmuch as the stones all form the small parts of the jewels of the two families you save from plunder. 
We have, of course, had them reset, and there will be no difficulty in getting this done. For our present, ours are, I believe, the only jewels in Ciudad. My dear Countess, Terence said, much moved, I do not like taking so valuable a present. What is it in comparison to what you have done for us, Signor? And please, do not suppose that we have seriously diminished our store. Nowhere, I believe, have ladies such jewels as they have in Spain, and few families can boast of finer ones than those of the Marquis and myself. And I can assure you that we shall value our jewels all the more when we think that some of their companions will be worn by the wife of the gentleman who has preserved more than our lives. That is a royal gift indeed, Herrera said when Terence showed him the jewels. I should be afraid to say what they are worth. Many of the old Spanish families possess marvelous jewels, relics of the days when the Spaniards owned the wealth of the Indies and the spoils of half Europe, and I should imagine that these must have been among the finest stones in the possession of both families. If I were you, Colonel, I should take the very first opportunity that occurs of sending them to England. You may be sure that I shall do so, Harara. They are not the sort of things to be carried about in a cavalry wallet, and I have no other place to stow them. As soon as we arrive at Penhill, I will get a strong box made to hold the two cases, and hand them over to the paymaster there, to be sent down to Lisbon by the next convoy. He sent home all the money that I did not want to keep by me when we were at Pinel last. Two other Portuguese regiments and a brigade of British infantry were stationed at Pinel in readiness at any moment to march to Almeida or Guarda, should Marmont make a forward movement, which was probable enough, for it was evident by the concentration of his troops at Salamanca and Valladolid, that he had no intention of marching south, but intended to leave at the Salt with the armies of Estemadura, Castile, and Andalusia to relieve Badajoz. From time to time, news came from that town. The siege had begun on the 17th of March, the attack being made on a fortified hill called the Picarina, but at first the progress was slow. Incessant rain fell, the ground became a swamp, and all operations had several times to be suspended, while Philippon, the brave officer who commanded the garrison, made numerous sorties from the town, with more or less success. On the night of the 25th, an assault was made on the strong fort on the Picarina, which was captured after desperate fighting, and the loss of 19 officers and 300 men killed and wounded. On the following day, the trenches were opened for the attack upon the town itself. The assailants labored night and day, and on the 6th a breach had been effected in the work called the Trinidad, and this was to be attacked by the 4th and Light Divisions. The castle was at the same time to be assailed by Picton's division, while General Powers' Portuguese were to make a feint on the other side of the Gardena, and San Roque was to be stormed by the forces employed in the trenches. The enterprise was well-nigh desperate. The breaches had not been sufficiently cleared, and it was known that the enemy had thrown up strong entrenchments behind them. Most of the guns were still in position to sweep the breaches, and another week at least should have been occupied in preparing the way for an assault. But Wellington was forced here, as at Ciudad, to fight against time. Salt was close at hand, and the British had not sufficient force to give him battle, and at the same time to continue the siege of the town, and it was therefore necessary either to carry the place at once, at whatever cost of life, or to abandon the fruits of all the efforts that had been made. Had Wellington's instructions been carried out, there would have been no occasion whatever for the assault to have been delivered until the breaches were greatly extended, the entrenchments destroyed, and the guns silenced. The Portuguese ministry, however, had thwarted him at every turn, 
and the siege could not be commenced until a fortnight after the date fixed by Wellington. This fortnight's delay cost the lives of 4,000 British soldiers. Four of the assaults on the breaches failed. On the crest of these, Philippon had erected a massive stockade, thickly bristling with saber blades. On the upper part of the breach, planks, similarly studded, had been laid, while on the other side a vast number of shells, barrels of powder, faggots soaked in oil, and other missiles and combustibles were piled, in readiness for hurling down upon the assailants, while the soldiers behind the defenses had been supplied with four muskets each. Never did British soldiers fight with such dogged bravery as was here evinced. Again and again they dashed at the breach, the center of a volcano of fire. Shells burst among them, cannon poured volleys of grace through their ranks. The French plied them with musketry. Fireballs lit up the scene as if by day. Mines exploded under their feet. Yet again and again they reached the terrible breastwork. But all efforts to climb it were fruitless. Numbers of those in front were pressed to death against the sabers by the eager efforts of those behind to get up, and for hours the assault continued. At last, seeing the impossibility of success and scorning to retreat, the men gathered at the foot of the breach, and there endured, sternly and silently, the murderous fire that was maintained by the enemy. Picton, however, had gained possession of the castle. Walker, with his command, had captured the bastion of San Vincenti, and part of his command fought their way along the battlement toward the breaches, while another marched to the town. Finding that the town had been entered at several points, the defenders of the breach gave way, and the soldiers poured into the town. Here, even more hideous scenes of murder and rapine were perpetrated than at Ciudad Rodrigo, and went on for two days and nights, absolutely unchecked. It has never been satisfactorily explained why, after the events of the former town, no precautions were taken by the general commanding to prevent the recurrence of scenes that brought disgrace on the British army, and for which he cannot be held blameless. Five thousand men and officers were killed or wounded in the siege. Of these, three thousand five hundred fell in the assault. The next three months passed without any action of importance. The discipline of the army had, as might have been expected, deteriorated greatly as a consequence of the unbridled license permitted to the soldiers after the capture of the two fortresses, and the absence of any punishment whatever for the excesses there committed. Lord Wellington complained bitterly in his letters home of the insubordination of the troops, of the outrages committed upon the peasantry, especially by detached parties, and of the general disobedience of orders. But he who had permitted the license and excesses to be carried on unchecked and unpunished cannot but be considered largely responsible for the natural consequences of such laxity in may heavy rains prevented any movement on either side except that the town of almaraz a most important position at the bridge across the tagus permitting soult and marmont to join hands was captured by surprise by general hill the works which had been considered almost impregnable being carried by assault in the course of an hour this was one of the most brilliant exploits of the war. Wellington had moved north and was again on the equator, and on the 13th of June, rain having ceased, he crossed the river and on the 16th arrived within six miles of Salamanca and drove a French division across the Tormes. On the 17th, the river was crossed, both above and below the town, and the forts defending it were at once invested. Marmont had, 
that day retired with two divisions of infantry and some cavalry and was followed immediately by a strong british division the minho regiment had been one of the first to take post on the equator after wellington's arrival on the koa and moved forward in advance of the army which was composed of twenty four thousand british troops with the spanish division and several portuguese regiments as soon as marmont had retired salamanca went wild with joy although the circular fort still prevented the british from entering the chief of these was san Vincetti, which stood on a perpendicular cliff overhanging the tormez it was flanked by two other strong forts from which however it was divided by a ravine the battering train brought with the army was altogether inadequate only four eighteen-pounders and three twenty-four-pound howitzers were available and the forts were far stronger than wellington had been led to expect a few guns had been sent forward by general hill and on the eighteenth seven pieces opened fire on san vincetti the next day some more howitzers arrived and a breach was made in the wall of the convent the ammunition was exhausted and the fire ceased until more could be brought up that day however marmont with a force of twenty thousand men was seen advancing to the relief of the forts the british army at once withdrew from the neighborhood of the convent and took up its position in order of battle on the heights of san cristobal on the twenty first three divisions of infantry and a brigade of cavalry joined marmont raising his force to forty thousand men the french the next night sent a portion of their force across the tormez and when daylight broke the german cavalry which had been placed to guard the ford was seen retiring before twelve thousand french infantry with twenty guns graham was also sent across the tormez with his division which was of about the same strength as the french force and as the light division was also following the french retired recrossed the ford and rejoined the main body of their army the next night the batteries again opened fire on san vincetti and on the twenty seventh the fort and convent were in a blaze one of the other forts was breached and both surrendered just as the storming parties were advancing to the assault and marmont retreating the same night across the duro by the roads of tortillas and toro as soon as it was possible to enter salamanca terence rode down into the town accompanied by ryan the forts had not yet surrendered but their hands were so full that they had no time to devote to annoying small parties of british officers passing into the town terence had noted down the address that nita had given him and at once rode there after having with some difficulty discovered the lane in which the house was situated an old man came to the door terence dismounted what can i do for you signor i wanted to ask you if your niece nita is staying with you the man looked greatly surprised at the question she has done no harm i hope he asked not at all but i wish to speak to her is she married yet to garcia the muleteer the old man looked still more surprised no senor garcia is away he is no longer a muleteer well you have not answered me if your niece is here she is here senor but she is not in the house at this moment she returned here from her father's last autumn the country was so disturbed that it was not right that young women should remain in the villages will you tell her that a british officer will call to see her in half an hour and beg her to remain in until i come i will tell her senor terence went at once to a silversmith's and bought the handsomest set of silver jewelry such as the peasants wore that he had in his shop including bracelets necklaces large filigree hairpin and earrings 
and various other ornaments. End of chapter 19. Recording by Charles Sapp.